Amen. Thank you very much. Um, welcome, everybody. It's good to see you all this morning as we end winter, spring, and as we're about to leap into summer. Uh, Ali already said next week we're going to do a barbecue, then from there, this hero series. And so this is the final of what's been going on for quite a long time, this Walk This Way series. And I'm going to try to really briefly, I was talking to Ali about what's the one thing we want to take away from Ephesians. And I'm going to try to communicate that one thing because there's so much in Ephesians, but, but I think, yeah, I think there's just one really important takeaway. But to lead into it, there's been something on my mind because Ephesians takes our minds upward and off ourselves. And I've, uh, since reading Ephesians, since being in that mindset, this last couple of weeks, I've actually been in a revelation mindset. Anyone reading through Revelation right now? Am I the only person? There's a couple. It's the, it's the book that delves you into a different uh, space, seeing windows into the greater reality. But as I've been reading through it, I've been caught or challenged by the reality of worship. And this week, I, in particular, I read in Revelation 4. And trust me, I hope this takes us to Ephesians. But this week, I was reading in Revelation 4. And I was struck in Revelation 4 by the, the two sets of beings. First of all, there's the four living creatures. And we're gonna, I'm going I'm to read Revelation 4 in a second. Uh, there's these four incredible, powerful living creatures. But what do living creatures do? They constantly go, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then alongside these four incredible living creatures, these the 24 elders. And what do the 24 elders do? Every time the living creatures go, holy, 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 the 24 elders take these crowns off their head, their glory, and cast it before the throne. And they say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive all honor and glory. And praise. So there's this constant reality of worship going on in Revelation. And I've had a mixed relationship with that over my life. And I'm going to talk a bit about that in a second. But I want, I want to first read Revelation so we get the picture. It's not going to come up on the screen because it's a very visual chapter. So close your eyes, open your eyes, and just listen. The word speaks. So Revelation 4. This is John in the vision with Jesus. And he said, After this I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I'd heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must, must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and there was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on it. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, Stone, A rainbow that had the appearance of emeralds surrounded the throne. Notice they don't even explain God. They just explain elements reacting to God. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. And seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. 
And then we meet these four living creatures, four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back were around the throne on each side. The first living creature was like a lion, the king of the jungle, this powerful beast. The second living creature was like an ox, the king of the grass-eating beast. The third living creature had a face like a man, supposedly we're the pinnacle of creation. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle, the king of the air. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and they were covered with eyes around and inside. And day and night, these creatures never stopped saying, Holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty who was, who is, who is to come again and again. And whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, which seemed to be endless, the one who lives forever, the 24 elders fall down before the throne, and fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship. Um, they cast their crowns before the throne and say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Where does that take your head? As a teenager, I remember sitting in church and singing songs like this, or it was seven or eight years ago, so there were the seven or eight year old songs. Um, and I remember everyone once in a while, someone saying, won't it be great when we get to heaven? Or it's probably going to be the new earth. But we'll, and we'll just keep singing songs like this forever. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, can you save me from heaven? <laughs> because that is the last thing I want to do, is sing, Mike, boys, this was fantastic. <laughs> but sing songs like this forever. Um, and I just remember being having this mixed attitude toward heaven. What will or the new heaven and the new earth? What will it be like? Is it is it actually? A, I mean, I know I want to be there, but is that what I want to go there to? And if I'm honest, I've struggled with that my whole life. Is that what we'll do? Just stand there and sing songs? And I don't know. And but just a few months ago, actually, someone really reframed the idea of this for me. And I don't even know where it's from, so I'm going to plagiarize, and I can't even give the person credit. I either heard it or I read it. But the author, I think, was asked a question, a really honest question by someone. And they said, like, why does a God who is all-powerful, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who has everything, why, why by, someone by definition God command us or need us to worship him all the time? Like, isn't that petty? Isn't that insecure? Why? Like, and I think that's a good question. But the person, the author, gave a great answer. They said, if you think about it, worship, in its truest sense, is just the natural, stick it up there, then, is just the natural and unavoidable overflow of our enjoyment, of our amazement, and our awe. Worship is just what naturally comes out, unstoppably, can't, we can't even hold the words in when we're really loving or enjoying something. So, you know, when your team scores a goal, stick the next 
slide up. When your team scores a goal, which doesn't happen that often if you're a Northern Ireland supporter, the st- what's the cop stand? The one, you're not just sitting there going, hmm, that was fantastic. <laughs> no, Ian is jumping out of his seat and everyone beside him, and we're not Brazil, we're Northern Ireland, and everyone's dancing in the stands about to blow. No, you cannot help. What you've been waiting for has just happened, and the words come out, and the energy come out, and the life comes out. You give worth to these people who have just 11 guys sticking a ball in the back of the net. Are you kidding me? But we do it. <laughs> Or what happens when someone does something really good for you? Maybe something you desperately needed or something you didn't expect. Something that was so timely. You don't say, pat, pat, thank you. No, you maybe hug them. Or maybe if you're not a huggy person, you just say, thank you so much. You don't know how timely that was. You don't know how much I needed that. You are amazing. You are so thoughtful. You cannot help it. Whether you're, maybe you're not even a vocal person, the energy of that will come up in you in your face or whatever. You speak worth to the person in a way you worship them. It's unavoidable. Or if you're walking in the morns or on a beach, stick the next one up. I was just up Binion with my sister who was here from Canada a couple weeks ago and we saw, I didn't take that picture but we saw a, a, a view like it. And you know, you're going up the last bit for those who have been up Binion and there's these cool rocks above you and you're sort of scaling up and you've seen sort of nice things around but when you come over the peak and over the rocks, all of a sudden the Silent Valley Reservoir and all these other morns are in front of you and what do you do? At the very least you go, whoa. Or if you're like me, you go, that's amazing. Do you say, Ange, come on, keep coming. Brian, move. That was my brother-in-law. Get up here. Look at this. Look at those beautiful, and there's the sea in the background of Coquille and the patchwork fields. And, and whether you're a vocal person or not, the worship in the energy comes out of you and at least, whoa. When we enjoy something, when we face something beautiful, when we're in awe of something, we cannot help but worship. Is that not true? So when God, the creator of the universe, is calling us and commanding us even to worship him, the reality is that he knows, he knows that he is the ultimate source of enjoyment of awe, of love, of emotional, experiential, physical fulfillment. He is it. And he's saying, come on, experience it. And you won't be able to hold back what your mouth and your body are going to say and do. If we naturally worship when we love someone or when our team scores a goal... (laughs) or when we come up over the last set of rocks or step out of the woods onto that beach, if we naturally and unavoidably speak worth and worship when those happen, how much more are we going to worship the king of the universe when we first see him face to face? 
And when we first see his creation, the morns are going to be utterly insignificant when we see the new heavens and the new earth. But even the king, the being, God who created it all, where is there an end to him? How will we possibly see all of him? So how will we possibly stop worshiping? And I don't know if that was just a metaphor, whether we'll actually say holy, 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 or or to be an experience, or whether it be a bit of both. But how will we stop that? How will we stop enjoying? That was an amazing flip in my head. And I love what C.S. Lewis says, if anyone's read the Narnia Chronicles. Any Narnia Chronicle readers here? The last book is called The Last Battle. And C.S. Lewis talks about going further up and further in. And heaven isn't about this place you just are, the new heaven and the new earth. Eternity isn't about this place you just arrive to. It's constantly going further up and further in because is there ever an end to what you could explore of God and his new creation? And C.S. Lewis talks about it constantly getting brighter and better and more vivid and more experiential. Like you can never get enough of what God has for us. And we desperately need to re think our worship of God. We def- desperately need to rethink not just now and how we will experience him now, but the reality of what he has waiting for us when this body fails. And I want us just to, we're, I'm going to do this talk in a few parts and we're going to do the communion, but I want us just to contemplate that while Mike and the guys come and sing us a song. And I pray as they come, Lord, that we desperately need new eyes for you. So help us to see you and help us to worship. Mike's just going to sing and I just want you to listen to the lyrics and enjoy the song. Some of us aren't speakers. Some of us will dance crazy like David danced before the Lord. And it is beyond our imagination right now. But I love that in Ephesians, jump to the book, Paul got it. Paul had a vision of Christ and a vision of a supernatural, of the real reality, possibly greater than any human other than Paul's head, other than John, his head. And he starts, as Ali said to us right at the start of the series, he starts Ephesians with just this spew of praise, actually, just speaking out all the reasons why God is worthy of praise and what he's done in our life. And not all of them are going to come up, but Ephesians 1 verse 3 starts like this. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He goes on in verse 7 and 8. This isn't going to come up. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood. We were purchased through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on him. Verse chapter 2, he goes on to explain why. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And he goes on to say, all of us, 
All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, all of us, verse 3, were, were by nature deserving of wrath. All of us were dead. All of us deserve the judgment of a holy, pure, awesome God. But verse 4 says, but... But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So no matter you, how you feel right now and whether you feel worthy to be sitting here, let alone worthy to be having the name of Christ on you, you are currently seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. That's your position. In order that in the coming ages, I can only imagine, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And we need to, how do you hold on to that? <laughs> and we need to grasp and re-grasp and re-glimpse this incomparable riches and grace of God, his, his, loveness, his love, his kindness, his, his forgiveness, the peace, the joy he gives us regularly in this place where we see dimly. But how awesome and powerful and real will it be when we see the God of the universe face to face, whatever that will be, jasper and carnelian and rainbows and lightning and thunder, or maybe we'll see a face, I don't know, but the full reality of the God of the universe. Will we realize chapter 2, verse 8? That it is by grace, grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. No one can boast about how good you are in front of God. <laughs> and no one could possibly stress about how bad, about how rubbish, about how filthy you are. How do you do that when you're sitting with the son in front of the father and he's lavished grace on you? And I suppose my challenge is if you don't know this grace this morning, then can you respond to it this morning? No one can pressure you. No one can force you. But the king of the universe loves you. You were dead and he brought you to life through the body and the blood of his son. And our response is simply to say, in some form, Jesus, I need you. I don't deserve you. I know my life is so far away from you, but I want you. I accept you. I recognize that you died and rose again for me, and I want the forgiveness and joy and hope and peace, all this stuff that they talk about. I want that because I don't have it. 
And God promises that he will come into us and fill us when we respond to him. And this is why we celebrate communion. Because Jesus in his um, grace and in his mercy knew that we forget. So as with so many other things, he gave us this tangible, physical representation of what he did for us. He said, this is my body given for you. Every time you take a piece of bread, break it, knowing that I gave my body for you. And this is my blood. This is a new covenant. This is a new relationship. This is for you. And the Apostle Paul told us that every time we celebrate this, we proclaim the death of Christ until he comes again. We're going to take communion now, and as the people who are going to hand it out to us come out, can we just take a moment of silence, and then could a couple people, if we can imagine, can a couple people thank the King of kings and Lord of lords for the blood and the body of his son?
fellowship in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of salvation. Thank you for bringing us into fellowship with you. How um, beautiful and confusing it must have been, but how cool that Jesus was just sitting around with his close friends at the end of a meal. They'd eaten, they'd drunk together, and then he showed them something that was going to happen. We know, and they had no idea, but he gave this, them this, this tangible gift that would last thousands of years to help us all know. And he took the bread and he said, this is my body given for you. And they had no idea, but we know. And then he took the wine and said, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is a new covenant, a new relationship, a new start for humanity. And I'm going to ask the stewards to come up now, but I want to invite us all to take part in this and, and worship in our lives as we're taking it. And I want to remind us that this was from Jesus given to his followers, and this is for followers of Christ. And if you don't know him yet today, as I always say, A, you are so welcome here and we're so glad you're here. And please don't worry at all about letting this pass by you. But if you're here, take the body and take the blood and proclaim Christ until he comes again. This is my body given for you. singing or serving or working or even playing football but I think it's all going to be worship and not just in the way we say it's all worship it's all it's all
It's all fellowship. I think genuinely all of eternity will be experienced worship as we enjoy the fullness of the King of Kings. Take your seats for a second, and I now in, in the final section, briefly actually, I, w- I want to sum up what flows out of this, the main lesson of Ephesians. And, and part of it's worship. But Ali made the point, I'm quoting Ali a lot this morning, Ali made the point, I think in the second or third session, I think that really sums up the main thrust of Ephesians, and it's this. You have to know where you sit before you can walk. Is that ahead or... Maybe we have to go back anyway. You have to know where you sit before you can walk. There you go. Look at that. Is that boy empowered because he's, well, six or seven? Yes, probably. (laughs) But does he feel like king of the world because he's sitting on his daddy's shoulders? Is he unstoppable because he's sitting on his daddy's shoulders because he's probably about eight feet tall at that stage? You have to know where you sit before you can walk. We cannot walk the path, the call God has for us without knowing who we are in him and and without being filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't strive for it. You can't work for it. You can't try for it. You can maybe get glimpses of it, but you will desperately fail. But as we Christians filled with the Spirit recognize more and more where we sit, we will walk further and further in his ways. So where do we sit? I'm going to race through Ephesians, but there's some great stuff here. Stick to the next slide, Glenn. Ephesians starts verse 1 by saying we are adopted. We're not just a random group of groupies following God around, trying to get in. We're not just street children begging at his door. We are adopted. We've been taken on by him. We've been taken from death and from separation into the family. And I'm starting to understand this process more and more in my life. The power of going from unknown to known and totally loving and living and dying for that person who's adopted. You are adopted you're redeemed that adoption cost you the body and blood of Jesus it was paid in full you are purchased you are redeemed you are chosen you didn't come begging he went after you he went after you he went after you he went after you he came after you and you can't find him unless he's coming after you and he is coming after you you can reject him but he's coming after you. You are chosen. You're sealed. Chapter one, we're still in chapter one. Verse 13, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit with an eternal seal. You can't, we're gonna talk about this in a second, but how do you fall away when you have an eternal seal on you? You're given hope, 118. As you said, in this world, you will have troubles. Expect it, it's guaranteed, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You've been given hope. Chapter one, verse 19, this is something we need to grasp. We have been given incomparably great power. You better believe that seven-year-old sitting on his son, dad's shoulders thinks he is Superman. Superman. 
do you and do I believe that we have incomparably great power? Jumping into chapter two, you've been brought from death to life, not from all right to a bit better, not from you're pretty good and I'm gonna round off some of the sharp corners. You've been brought from death, dead, totally separate, totally failing to life, to life. And then verse three is this amazing chapter that reminds us and assures us that we are loved with wider and higher and longer and deeper love than you can possibly imagine, deeper than you can go, higher than you can reach, wider than you can stray, you are loved. And if you are in Christ, if you're not, I pray you hear that's what's being offered to you. And if you are in Christ, that's where you sit. When we submit our lives to the king and realize that he died to pay for our sins and, and, just, and give our lives, ask forgiveness, repent, turn from our ways to him, all this is dumped on us with beauty and reality and power. That's where we sit. And you can't walk until you know where you sit. So Paul takes three chapters telling us and assuring us and, 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 and um, pleading with us to understand all this stuff. And then he jumps into chapter four and there's a therefore. And what's it there for? And he says, therefore, for chapter one, it comes up. I, a prisoner for the serving the Lord, beg. I urge, I exhort, I implore you, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called. You've been called by God. I beg you, based on the three chapters I've just spewed out to you, I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling. And Paul says something different to the Romans. It's not going to come up, but Paul in Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, again I exhort you, I beg you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And what's worship? It's the natural overflowing of when we're amazed, when we're in awe, when we see God. It's what will naturally flow out of us when we truly comprehend where we sit. So what are we called to? We're called to walk this way. Chapter 4 starts with be humble, gentle, and patient. Not be super slick Amazing at speaking in front of people, courageous on the streets, dropping people to the ground and healing them at every moment. All those, those are all amazing things. What's the first call? Be humble, gentle, and patient. I love that. At the end of chapter four, he says, keep taking off the old and keep putting on the new. Take off the old and put on the new. And that's a present and it's an ongoing thing. It's not just one thing that happened. The old went off and the new came on, although that did also happen. But he's saying, keep pushing away the old, the old habits. Keep getting rid of them. Keep making ways to avoid them and keep putting on all this stuff I've just told you about. And then chapter five, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love not 
of boldness, of courage, of mountaintops, of live a life of love. And he goes on to tell us over and over again what that looks like. And it's basically submitting to one another and sacrificing for one another. And this is the walk that he's called us to. And we look at that list and it doesn't look like supernatural living. And he's also given us power to do incredible things that we never, we don't grasp nearly enough. But this is the supernatural walk he's called us into. And yet we put a box that it has to be the people that are standing up here or it has to be the people that are leading the crusade in the street or it has to be standing on the edge or it has to be the guys at food or whatever. But this is the walk. This is the everyone, every day, everywhere. I love what Mother Teresa said. She said, not all of us can do great things. But we can all, and there's a spell error, sorry, but we can all do small things with great love. Not all of us can do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. And in fact, the world and lives are transformed by small things with great love. Worship is simply the natural overflow of enjoyment and awe and amazement. Paul was utterly amazed by what God had done for him and, and what, what he had done for the Ephesians and all the churches to come and he overflowed in worship as he starts this letter. And my prayer for us as we go into the summer as Lord, as we come out of today and go into a summer where there's so much opportunity ahead of us, Lord, help us to glimpse the reality and the power and the awe and the amazement of who you are. Help us to see ourselves sitting on your shoulders or in your arms or walking with your, our hand in your hand or surrounded by you, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That our lives might be worship. And the message of Ephesians, you have to know where you sit before you can walk. You cannot walk the road he's called you on your own. You can't just encourage someone into it. You can't just lift yourself up by your bootstraps. That saying doesn't make sense anyway. But the Holy Spirit in you, the reality of sitting on the shoulders of the King of Kings, propels us into a walk filled with humility, patience, love, grace, submission, Sacrifice. And then Ephesians finishes with this chapter that reminds us that all things are spiritual. And you're not just in a physical battle, you are in an intense spiritual battle. So Paul says in um, Ephesians 6, 18, pray all the time about everything so that the king of kings will work in you and through in you and defeat the powers of darkness around you and they are real 
And so I just want to finish as I do so often, but I just love this prayer from Lectio 365, which sums up my desperate need every day. And I get the guys to come up actually and sing our last song as we do this, but read this. And let the reality of what we need from God sink in. Because if you are in Christ, you sit with the King of kings and Lord of lords. Your daddy is the strongest. Your dad is the greatest. He is the tallest. All these things that kids battle for every day in the playground. Your dad, your father is it. So, Father, help us live this day to the Jesus, help me to give my life away to others. You've called us to submit and sacrifice, being kind to everyone I meet. And Spirit, help. Help me to love the lost, proclaiming Jesus Christ with everything I do and say, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name.